Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi, I'm Steve Randall and welcome to another of our special podcast episodes featuring the many people that Peter Finn, Pete the Builder and I spoke to at the Footprint Plus event at the start of June. We learned a lot and discovered some fascinating work that's going on to ensure that the construction industry is part of the greener, more sustainable world that we need as we drive towards carbon net zero. If you can't wait to catch up with all our guests from Footprint Plus, have a listen to our online radio stream where you can hear them all. Just visit constructive-voices.com, don't forget the dash, or ask Alexa to launch Constructive Voices. However you listen, with Constructive Voices, the conversation is building. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Hi, I'm Andrew Waugh from Waugh Thistleton Architects, and we're an architect's practice based in London. And for the last 20 years, we've become increasingly fascinated, even slightly obsessed with the opportunities for building in timber, for designing beautiful buildings in timber. Excellent. Well, I have a, a carpentry background, so hearing that is, is, is great to hear. And there's so many amazing uh, structure to, the structures that I've seen uh, with timber as their, their main feature. What exciting projects have you been working on and have you got on the go at the moment? Wow. So we, well, less and less work in the UK, unfortunately, because of, uh, because of the environment here. But um, we're now working across the United States and throughout Europe. So large housing projects in Sweden, big office projects in Milan and Italy. Um, so yeah, exciting times. Well, and what is it that has attracted you to using uh, wood and, and timber um, as a, a predominant feature within your, your buildings? And what, why is it that that's catching your, your, your design initiatives? It's primarily about low carbon. So for us, it's about reducing the impact of construction and the materials that we use. So concrete and steel, as you know, are massive polluters, massive users of energy. They make buildings that are very heavy, very labor-intensive, very difficult to adapt. Whereas timber buildings, you know, have a renewable, replenishable uh, source of material. You don't have to scrape it off the surface of the earth. You've got um, these beautiful trees that grow. You can kind of like sustainably managed, harvested forests uh, across Europe and, the, and North America that we can use to build these buildings. So really it was about... But it still is primarily about low carbon, but also what we now realize is how wonderful these buildings are to live in, to work in, how healthy they are, um, how fabulous they are to build as well. So they're very fast to build, very efficient, very precise, um, require fewer people on site, nicer working environment to be in. So, you know, it's just like win, 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 win. <laughs> very good. Um, so in terms of, of construction with timber, is it modular building that you're doing or is it kind of a, a hybrid between the two where there's a lot of off-site uh, work done and then um, when the timber structure goes up then there's a bit of an infill on site? Is that kind of the, the, the main, I'm sure you're doing a lot of projects, but is that in general the type of construction that's happening? Yeah, principally that's right. So the timber is, is cut in the factory um, to precise shapes, but two-dimensional, so flat timber slabs and then I guess like a model kit you know they arrive on the back of a truck they're craned into place and then fastened together with cordless screwdrivers so you know very precise we just built 
just uh, just completing at the moment a 5,000 square meter office building in central London, and that's six stories, and it's 872 pieces of timber, each one of which is kind of fastened together using uh, using 120 mil screws, cordless screwdrivers plus or minus one or two millimeters on the whole building. So incredibly precise, um, incredibly kind of, uh, incredibly perfect process. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm getting excited about the thoughts of uh, all of that timber and, and the accuracy there, it's amazing. So by doing that type of construction as well, you're massively reducing uh, the carbon emissions and also noise and that type of pollution as well. So um, do you think that more people are going to start uh, going in this direction as well. Where do you see the, the, the mass timber uh, type of build going within the industry? I think it will take over the industry as the, as the predominant material to be used in construction. I think that, I mean, the reason why it's called a climate emergency is because it's not something that's kind of, you know, going to happen in, you know, in 10, 20, 30. This is upon us right now. We need to be changing the way that we build our buildings that we think about construction, that we think about architecture, we need to be changing that right now and reducing our use of concrete and our use of steel. We do not need to be relying on technologies that do not exist. This is not about spraying new houses with mushrooms, you know, robots or whatever. This is actually about an existing technology that we can utilize as a viable replacement for concrete and steel. So being at an event like Footprint Plus, I suppose you are talking to the converted. Uh, if, if someone has been proactive enough to come to an event like this, they obviously have the right ideas in mind. But in within the industry in general, are you seeing a proper change? Is there enough change happening? And are we going in the right direction? And are we going quick enough? We're not going quick enough. I mean, there is a move in the right direction. There certainly is, you know, there certainly is interest. But the UK is really lagging behind the rest of Europe, the rest of North, you know, and North America now. Which is, which is a real shame. You know, we have a very conservative construction industry in the UK. We have a government that's not even procuring low-carbon buildings itself. So how can it be encouraging an industry to do that and take that on board? So no, sadly, it's not fast enough. You know, but there's a younger generation of people coming up. And, you know, those people are demanding change. So move over. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks very much. Constructive Voices, live at Footprint Plus. Hi, I'm Angela Crowther. I work as an Associate Director in Arab, looking after multidisciplinary design projects, um, typically big master plans. Now, you've literally just come off stage from a, a panel discussing repurposing buildings to save the embodied energy. Um, lots of people listening in intentively to that because this is such a, a big issue, isn't it? Absolutely fundamental. Um, the opportunity to immediately save 50% of our carbon um, budget by protecting and celebrating and reusing what we've already built in the past into the future rather than starting again is fundamental to um, solving the climate emergency. Um, but it is a really complex problem. It's not always going to be the right answer and therefore a total carbon and holistic nuanced look at whether it's right on an individual project by project basis is really fundamental to our approach. Because there's not just one solution that, that fits every situation, is there? It, 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 you know, each, each one will require its own sort of bespoke solution, really. 
Absolutely, and that's not just in terms of making the building itself work, but also thinking about how people are going to use that building in future and interact with the building as part of a wider cityscape and some of the other things that we're trying to achieve in the city, like better health and well-being for occupants and better biodiversity and green spaces. So having to bring in the entire context of the problem is also important. A city is a backdrop to life, right, isn't it? And actually allowing our buildings to become part of that and remain the backdrop and evolve as our lives evolve in the way that we use cities falls, I think is really important. So yes, both celebrating and um, the heritage of, of the buildings that we have, but also allowing them to adapt and evolve and bring new builds in in appropriate ways. And the combination, I think, is what creates a successful place. And obviously you've talked to a lot of people um, here at the event. Uh, what, what's been the, the big topic of conversation? What will you take away from this? One of the big challenges that we're trying to really push through um, for the benefit of wider industry at the moment as an Arab um, team is around making mass timber at very, very large scale realisable. And by that we've got design solutions, but we now need to test and prove that they're safe and resilient and therefore insurable. And it's been really great to hear people talking about that and also have a wide spectrum of industry here so insurers themselves here and saying from the horse's mouth what their concerns are because then with that engagement and the start of the conversation we can solve it together. I mean, it's, it's been a very, very positive event, hasn't it? Everyone is, is talking about similar things. Everyone has a part of the solution or believes that they do, but they also want to learn other things. It's, it, 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 I think you, we're all going away from this thinking, yeah, I, I feel very optimistic. Is that how you feel? Absolutely. And we all have a really important part to play, don't we? So to be able to come together and realise that we're only going to achieve that through collaboration, through dialogue, is really positive to see that, that happening at scale here. And where can people find out more about Arup and what you do? So Arup.com is our company website. We're a big company. We're full of many, many different disciplines and interests in the built environment. But using the search function to really understand and explore um, what you're interested in, because I've always been amazed working at Arup that there is someone, always somewhere out there, that's doing whatever thing you, you might be interested in finding out about. There's always an expert somewhere. Constructive Voices. So I'm here with Amory Fallon from uh, Archetype. Yeah, I've been working with Archetype uh, for the last six, seven years now. Um, originally, like you, come from Dublin. Um, came over to the UK, the height of the recession in 2008, as you can imagine. Um, Archetype as a practice for me. I always, you know, ever since I learned sustainable design uh, after my degree in TU Dublin, I always aspired to this practice to, to work with it. Um, and even in a previous practice I ran, I kind of modelled it on, on Archetype. Uh, so to have the opportunity to come work for them, uh, initially as a freelancer a couple of years ago, is phenomenal. Um, and I'm now Associate Director. The background of Archetype's kind of business ethos is around sustainable design of buildings. So there, there was always a kind of regenerative design aspect to what they did uh, over the 37-year history of the practice. And what we have now is a real focus on passive house, you know, measured outcome sustainable design rather than something that's a little bit more vague and kind of not measurable in terms of client comfort and the energy, um, the energy issues that we're facing today. We have three uh, offices. So we have a London office, a West office uh, over in Hereford. And I've been 
working with our managing director re- recently establishing our, Herf- our Edinburgh office and maybe we'll have a Dublin one too you never know so um, yeah back in Dublin to, to do a bit of work as well for Archetype over the next few weeks um, so yeah really proud to be involved with a company that really put kind of Passive House and, and, and the idea of sustainable design with Passive House uh, at, its, at its core and we specialise in all sorts of different typologies and sectors so educational buildings housing offices culture buildings um, we, we've quite a name for ourselves now with Passive House Archives um, for some big cultural institutions. So, And we do a lot of consultancy. We have a consultancy arm called Perform Plus. So we take our architect hat off and put our consultancy hat off. And we really love working with you know anyone who wants to create better design buildings and better design master plans. Well, good stuff. So Ireland's loss has been the UK's gain by the sounds of things here. Um, it's great to hear so many uh, from, from Ireland coming over and, and doing so well. And... Uh, the, the business archetype, um, obviously, it's it's really got sustainability as as a focus, um, but is is very proactive in, in lots of different areas, which is which is great. And I'm fair play to you for that. So your your talk, I, I heard a bit of it there uh, not too long ago. Um, it, it's about the passive house in general. Do you want to just go into that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so um, I was invited alongside Mikhail Ritchie's and Max Fordham to do it. Uh, kind of combined presentation on is Passive House the answer? So, you know, my context of this from working with Passive House buildings for the last 13 years now is that it's become a bit of a dirty word. You know, clients are afraid of it. Design teams don't want to touch it. Contractors are nervous. They're building, you know, to this energy standard. And we, we just wanted to put a session together to try to address some of those myths with a variety of different building typologies. So some of our own certified buildings. So um, the school that you saw, Agar Grove, we were the delivery architect for, um, that Max Fordham, uh, that Gwillem presented, um, and the Entopia building, the Cambridge University Educational Retrofit building, uh, are all actually our buildings, um, as well as sitting alongside James Turner from Mackay Ritchie's looking at Goldsmith Street, which was a real game-changer project uh, in the UK when it won the Reva Sterling Prize in 2019. It really put Passive House into the mainstream, as, as James covered in his presentation. Um, so by going through a variety of different typologies, and I think the most significant one is the Passive House Swimming Pool and Leisure Centre now in Exeter, uh, by Exeter City Living and Exeter City Council, um, we're really seeing that Passive House at scale is achievable. And it was it was really about trying to um, reduce the perception of barriers to just building better quality design. So a lot of it is about energy efficiency, you know, the energy emergency, really responding to operational energy reduction. But actually, um, what it also has to what it also has to deal with is a, a more a more holistic approach to design as well, and a more holistic approach to sustainability um, that it just fits in really, really nicely with. Very good. Being a main contractor myself, I have to admit, uh, whenever the word passive house is said to me, I go, oh, "Okay, here we go." Um, but having heard of some of what you said there, and I suppose the fear does always be that. Uh, you're going to be dictated to rather than worked with and I think you know after listening to what what yourself and everyone said at your presentation there once it's an inclusive process and once everybody is in from the start I think it, you know it becomes much more achievable um, so keep up the good work I'd say on that one so just I suppose a final question uh being here here at a, an event like Footprint Plus, you're obviously speaking to some very like-minded people, um, and a lot of positivity is in the room. Um, you know, we were literally chatting just before we started recording about you know bumping into people up at the you know the coffee bar or whatever, which is which is great, and you're kind of getting an informal way of, of getting discuss uh, issues at hand. So, 
The big question that we're all here for is the sustainability issue and the, and the climate emergency. Um, in, in your honest opinion, are, are we, have, we, have we done enough? Well, I think we can clearly say we haven't done enough yet, but are we going in the right direction and are we going to meet our targets? And does coming to an event like this give you the positivity that maybe we, we will reach our end goals? That's a really difficult one to answer because that's where I might have to put my Irish truth um, chat uh, into the back of my mind and stay very optimistic. Um, I do think there's a significant challenge. I think conferences like this prove to me that there is, you know, there are people, there's clients, there's contractors, there's developers, there's design teams that are really passionate about making change. And they may have several different agendas for that, but they're here, they're at the table. There's a combined feeling in the room that we've all kind of committed to and, and know that this is what we have to do. The reality is that we need to, by 2050, be able to look back at 2022 and 2020 and 2030 and say, yeah, you know, actually we, we achieved benchmarkable change. And that's the big risk to me, that there's a momentum around the industry, the current volatility in the world with kind of war and energy costs and food and the security issues that we're all having um, as nations has actually really focused people's attention on how do we become more independent or reduce our dependency uh, on fossil fuels in particular. Um, but we need to be able to prove that any measures that we take now actually will survive until 2050 and beyond. So I, I am optimistic that the, there will be a momentum that gets, gets going and has got going around this. But it's, it's a big, big hill to climb. And, you know, we have something like... Um, I'm going to say the wrong word now, but, you know, we've over 40 million buildings in the UK and we only have 1,500 certified passive house buildings. And we have, you know, several thousand in the making and we have lots of other good, ambitious projects that are trying to reduce their energy consumption. Um, but it's a very, very big hill to climb. And what we really need the government to do, which they probably won't do, is to have a, a COVID response to the energy emergency, the climate emergency. You know, the the... the the whole world kind of responded in a, to a certain degree quite rapidly for the COVID issues that we had over the last couple of years. And we, we need a similar approach. And I, I go back to this analogy from, you know, the Public Health Act in 1851 introduced the idea of rubbish collection and sewage pipes underground to London and, you know, the UK generally. And I think Sunderland were the first council that kind of actually implemented it. But in the 1970s, in tenement buildings in Scotland and, and in the rest of the country, we still have shared sanitation facilities. It took, you know, the guts of what's that, you know, over 150 years-ish, 160 years, to actually fully implement something that was better for our health and better for the environment. And we're at that similar moment now where we don't have 150 years to do that. We need to do it by 2050. And I think we will get a good way to that point, but we need to be able to evidence that we've got to that point. And that's what I'm really interested in going forward is how are we going to evidence that actually what we're doing is going to have an impact. We know we have the tools, we have the knowledge, we have the ambition. We need to spread that around through our various industries. But then we also need to make sure that by 2050 and 2060 and maybe, you know, whenever I pass on, that actually we've made a difference. And it's kind of, that's the future thinking that I suppose I feel passionate about now. Anne-Marie, thank you very much. You've inspired me. That was an, an inspirational talk there. Now, all joking aside, I think you're dead right. Um, I think we do have to start acting. Um, and, and I really like the, the, the COVID response uh, analogy because, you know, I think what's going to happen in its human nature, we're going to wait until things are pushed even a bit too far, uh, even further again, and then we're going to have a, a, a very quick reaction. So hopefully, you know, people like yourself, 
and, and other people are at these events will start to progress though. Thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, lovely to meet you and yeah, thank you. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK to the global construction industry. This is Constructive Voices. Councillor Simon Beguian. Um, I've been a councillor in Brighton Hope for three years. I have a background in the built environment. I'm a chartered town planner, a chartered surveyor. I work in higher education in, in Kent and I run projects in the Thames Estuary as well. Excellent stuff. So it sounds like uh, your background really suits what you do, which is quite unusual in politics, if I'm honest. So um, it's great to hear that. So it must be great to have such a positive event happening here, literally right beside the, the, the sea here in, in Brighton. No, I mean, it's it's brilliant. And, and, you know, just to start with the team behind the event, you know, Sophie, Emily and everybody else working behind the scenes have done an immense job over the last, you know, months, even even years, just bringing this event here. And I think for me, it's critical both as, you know, a built environment professional, but also as a councillor in the city to be here and not only attend the sessions, but welcome people to the city, have those conversations and actually thank people for coming because there are a lot of developers, practitioners, you know, policy makers who don't normally come to the city. You know, we don't have that level of support in the industry and the visibility to, to have everybody here is definitely an opportunity we must, we must grasp with both hands. Absolutely. It's my very first time being to the city as well. And I have to say, it's absolutely steeped in history. You can see it. The, the buildings all along the promenade here, uh, the old ruins of the, of the original pier. And then you've got the new pier there as well. You've got the, the sky view. Uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such an amazing uh, city. And uh, to ha- you're dead right to have such a strong um, body of people to come to the city and to see it for their own eyes, but also to bring their ideas and to bring... Um, everything that they, the, the knowledge and, and the background that they have to the city is a, is a very exciting moment so what do you think the next steps will be coming out of uh, the Footprint Plus event and hopefully we're going to see more of this type of thing yeah I mean there are do you know what there are some immediate things that, that come to mind I mean just listening to you describe the city in that way so obviously we're on the seafront there's a lot of Regency heritage where, where we are in this part of the city but all of our development sites all of our opportunities for the themes coming out of the conference, you know, whether it's decarbonization or retrofit or new communities, they are all sort of outside of this area where we currently are. So if there's anything I would do differently next time, and maybe this is, you know, for when the next time the event comes back and grows is to do some sort of a living lab or event. And actually, do you know what? Take, take the guests here and say, well, look, well, let's take you to the sites that are being developed. Let's show you what's happening on the ground. Let's showcase the things that we are doing. Because there are people here who are event sponsors who are doing these things, but there are also lots of people who aren't. And it's the first time in the city coming and talking about these things. But before they kind of go back to London, whether this time or next time, actually make sure they, that they go out into the city and see some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that we have and I think the event will have a crucial role next time in the way it pivots to also become more a part of a city event rather than you know we're sitting here in this lovely building that's been temporarily put up for this but actually let's take people out in the city and show them what we are doing but also show them what could be done. Amazing an interactive experience I like it already I'm, I'm in I'm in 
Um, so would you like uh, to elaborate on a little bit? Obviously, you've got a, a construction um, architectural background, which is which is fantastic to hear. Is there enough support coming from government level? Are you seeing positive signs coming from those directions? There's a lot on the policy side. But I think ultimately it comes down to what local government does. It comes down to what the council in the city does. And I know there are constraints. The biggest one is obviously money. You know, I think some cities up up in the north were talking about billions to try and retrofit all of their building stock, to try and do all of the decarbonization ambition that they want to do. So that's that's it's, it's both a barrier and an opportunity. And I think it's it's critical to unpack what exactly that means in the context of the city. You know, we're doing a lot of small things here and there, but do you know what? I think we need to be more ambitious in the things that we can scale up. But also, I think it's how we take people on board with us. So we've, you know, where we are here, we've got a cycle lane on the seafront, you know, really good, but also very divisive in the context of the city over the last two years. So we have, we're a city with a very diverse community in all sorts of ways, but we, we're not at the top of our game when it comes to taking everybody with us. And I think for the sorts of challenges that are being talked about here, you know, you need individual action, you need individual behavior change, you need household action, you need local government to step up, you need the bankers to step up, you need central government to kind of be more ambitious in their policies and the delivery. So it's, it's, it's a collective effort. And I think that's, I think, where that challenge of coordinating, but also taking people with you will be the biggest, the biggest thing to kind of, you know, have in, in, our, in, our, in our sites over the next weeks, months and years. Do you think overall as a population of the world are we doing enough are we going in the right direction and um, are we going to meet the targets that have been set not only in the uk in europe but in a, in a global situation what's your general thoughts on that whole thing no i, I think we are because look as, as a counselor I, I do things with with our local schools and 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 secondaries and fe colleges we ran a sustainability masterclass in one of our biggest sixth form schools three thousand students there was so much interest in the room you know, not only to learn. I mean, they obviously know about what sustainability is within the context of the curriculum, but actually to hear from practitioners and to see it in practice was immense. We've got other schools that are sort of talking about the issues around migration and the challenges about global crises, which obviously some are driven by politics, some are driven by environmental disasters. For example, people move for flooding, all sorts of reasons. So I think we've got a generation that's really tuned in into what's happening and, you know, I think we're in a fortunate position, both as somebody like me who teaches in university, but also a politician gets to speak to these young people. And, and you know, we have a lot to show them and teach them, but we also have a lot to learn from them. Thank you very much, Samir. That's a local councillor here in Brighton Hove. And again, thank you very much for having us here as well, because it's been amazing to come to, the, to, to such a beautiful part of uh, the country. And uh, to see so much positivity here has been fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And you guys must come back, you know, not only for the next thing, but all of the other stuff that's always on offer here. Thank you. I certainly will be. Thank you. This is Constructive Voices. Hi there. Um, I'm Courtney McDougall. I'm a project engineer at Vastonfall, uh, Vastonfall Heat UK specifically. Vastonfall is a Swedish state-owned company that are net zero by 2030 in one generation. We specialise in district heating solutions um, and city-wide schemes. Excellent stuff. So um, we're here at Footprint Plus. We've an awful lot of people here like-minded. Um, and I suppose it's fair to say that uh, the sustainability issue has definitely come to the forefront over the last 
uh, period of time. And what have you seen in your own industry uh, that has clearly seen that the steps are going in the right direction? Uh, there's a lot more district heating networks coming into place, a lot more larger schemes, um, city-wide specifically. Uh, there's a Bristol heat network, which Vanful are now um, leading with Amoresco, um, but we're finding across the country and across the board, people are moving towards low-carbon solutions, so away from gas and more towards heat pumps. Uh, but there is an education that needs to be done, uh, just because there's a transition going on through, throughout the country from boilers onto low-carbon solutions. Yeah, I'm in construction myself. I have my own construction company, and I totally agree with what you just said there. Uh, without the doubt, there has to be a transition from the way that people were used to doing things when it comes to you know gas and oil boilers. We have to transition over to uh, to air-to-water heat pumps, uh, geothermic heating. That that type of of heating system is definitely the future. Um, and how how do we do that? Like like what's your experience? I, I know from myself. Uh, I've I've done some research on it. I've gone I've gone and done some courses, and I've upskilled myself a, a, a little bit. Probably not all the way, but I'm I'm certainly you know going in the right direction. Is there something that you think is missing in the industry, or do you think that something could be added into the industry that would help to to get just uh, people in in all aspects of construction um, upskilled? Regulation is key. There's a lot more regulation coming into place this year, which is very exciting. Um, the industry hasn't been regulated before, and now it, it is going towards that direction. Um, the education piece, so just educating people on district heating networks, and the, you also have a lot of energy from waste supplies around the country, which that could be then used to supply heat. So it's that really education piece that you don't need to have a boiler within your sort of in, in your house or in your um, in your flat. You can have a heat pump. You can have a shared distributing network, um, and also just regulating. Um, you know, moving away from gas and finding low carbon solutions from such as uh, energy from waste networks. Excellent stuff. Well, listen, very nice to talk to you, and hope you have a great day today. Thank you very much. Constructive voices live at Footprint Plus. So I'm here now with Dan Epstein from OPDC. OPDC is one of the two mayoral development corporations uh, for the, in London um, and I'm the sustainability lead on the project. It's a 25,000 home project built around the new HS2 and um, Queen Elizabeth Line stations which will, um, it's the only place they meet, um, so there'll be 250,000 passengers crossing over at that point and we're building a new sort of effectively district um, around all of that. So it's a fascinating project to be involved in and Solar is going to play a big part of it. I heard some of your, your talk there. Would you like to expand on that there? So we looked... So the, the area actually includes new build, but it also includes a very large, the largest industrial estate in London, um, Park Royal. We've been looking at how we can transition to zero carbon. The industrial sheds are sort of perfect for solar. Uh, a lot of them are owned by large asset owners who have ESG, uh, environmental and sustainability kind of governance and social governance. Um, policies, they would like to, you know, they all say they want to go green and it makes a huge amount of sense for them to put solar on their roofs. So we're, we've been asking ourselves, why aren't they doing it when you can get, you know, between 10 and 20% return on that investment? It seems, you know, particularly with energy shortages and their commitments. And so we're trying to essentially raise money to try to unlock, go and talk to businesses, show them what the financial case is and help them kind of think about why they, how they might install solar. Absolutely, like solar was one of the of the first environmentally friendly type of products that came out, and everybody heard about it. Um, technologies in it has massively uh, improved since they first came out. Now, and I heard you mentioning just at the end there, there's even you know more advancements happening as we speak. So, 
is solar absolutely the future going forward? Is, is it the answer to the energy crisis that we have? Um, I mean, anybody working in this area will tell you there isn't an answer, there isn't a silver bullet. If solar was, it would be fantastic. Um, solar is just part of a whole range of solutions, retrofit, solar. I'm going to talk later on about heat networks, um, local decarbonisation of heat, um, electric vehicles, storage. But actually, I think the, in the end, the answer is to use less. And the project that you're involved in obviously is very uh, much at the forefront of doing what we need to do in construction, which is uh, building uh, in a way that's sustainable, but also uh, answering the, the problems that are out there in terms of residential, homelessness, all these different aspects. So we need more homes, but we need to do it in the right way. And I, it sounds like your, your, your project is, is answering a lot of those questions. I think our, our, our project is trying to answer those questions. You know, at the heart of all of this is money and how you get payback. Um, you know, who makes the investment, who, really, who realizes the profit, how do you get away from this sort of idea that homes are an asset and actually they're an amenity, something that we live in. Um, but yeah, we're definitely, the, the reason the growth areas have been created, the reason we have um, HIF funding, so housing infrastructure funding going into projects like this, the reason we have these projects kind of being focused on by the Homes England and other partners is because we realise exactly what you said, that there's a housing crisis. We need to build more housing. That housing needs to be more environmentally friendly, not, not only from a, a carbon perspective, but also better air quality, better... Um, we need to be able to withstand overheating, uh, climate change and all the rest of it, climate mitigation. And, and more importantly, we need to to build places that are that are in themselves sustainable you know places with mixed use where you can that you can um, walk to you don't have to jump in a car um, to live in that are affordable and that's the sort of problems we're trying to kind of um, address thank you very much constructive voices the podcast for the construction people so david laversha from wsp we're consulting engineers and uh, we've probably got fifty-five thousand or so employees globally with about eight thousand in the uk Great stuff. So not, not, a, not a small company by, by any means. Um, so what's it like to be in a, a, a company that size um, and in the current uh, construction environment? It's, in my opinion, it's very exciting times in terms of there's a lot of transition. You know, we're seeing it everywhere you look at the event here today. New materials being used, uh, new concepts coming out. So it must be a very exciting time for yourselves. Oh, it's a fabulous time. I joined the company about 15 months ago. And uh, with the, the sole purpose, really, of how to drive our response to the climate emergency. And within WSP, we made a commitment to halve the carbon associ associated with our designs and advice by 2030. And really, my role within the property and buildings division, and there's about 800 engineers in that team, is how do we actually deliver that transformation? And I think that, for me, has been such an eye-opening opportunity um, sometimes we can look at big corporates and big PLCs as, uh, you know, maybe not doing the right thing. Whereas I've been so wonderfully surprised and uh, delighted by the, the you know, investment and the fact that we've made this really courageous uh, pledge. We're the first you know, consultancy business really in the UK to make such a pledge and only one other's made something similar. And it's really acted as a catalyst for change and debate and uh, I think that has been such a, an eye-opening experience that you know not only are we putting these pledges out there but there's that real desire and uh, 
you know, reputational um, opportunity to deliver on something that is really groundbreaking. Well, fair play to you. It's amazing to hear that and uh, keep up the good work. It's, it's, it's really good. So being at an event like Footprint Plus has given me the opportunity to meet people like yourself and, and so many other people who are, are thinking in a different way now, thinking, you know, so in, in, in uh, so much in initiatives going in, in new directions and uh, all aiming towards you know, getting to ca- uh, as close as we can to carbon net zero. So uh, what is the, the big thing that you will have taken out of being at this event? But also, I suppose, what, what, what are you doing within your company as well, driving towards that, that end result? I think for us, the key thing about uh, Footprint Plus was really the fact that it's local. Um, it's not the south of France like other events. Um, it really is focused on trying to change the, you know, the agenda and drive the agenda in terms of net zero. So for us, we, we've sponsored uh, Footprint Plus now for two years during the, the transition, I suppose, and during COVID. And we've done a range of tabletop talks with them over the last two years to help build that momentum. But the opportunity to do something like this, you know, within the door set um, and to bring some of our younger um, engineers it, earlier in their career to a two or three day event like that was really powerful for us because um, it's so much more inclusive rather than going you know a big trip overseas and having something on your doorstep is aligned to our own net zero pledges about how do we decarbonize our own business and just sharing um, you know our knowledge and our skills with others and hearing what our peers and collaborators are doing out there in the real world is so fundamental because I think to move the agenda forward we all have to be really bold we have to challenge the status quo. We've got to challenge people who say, oh, we've always done it this way and we can't possibly change it. And we just can't take no as an answer anymore. So coming to an event like this and you know, just talking to other people and understanding that you know, you're not alone in trying to drive that agenda. And ultimately, you know, this has got to be bigger than any individual companies. Um, we've got to come together you know, underneath the umbrella of kind of something like the um, declare movement, because that's a moral pledge that we should all be following. And it's not just a corporate pledge for doing the right thing. You know, we've got to be driving this really hard because for too long, I suppose, we've all been sleepwalking towards the cliff edge. And now is the time that we've woken up, really. And, you know, the next couple of years are so critical. And if these events can help catapult and accelerate that change, then that's absolutely what we should all be doing. Fair play to you. But another really positive thing that, that I've uh, picked up is that, you know, there's so many people coming to this event from a different perspective. Like you've got some people who are developers, you've got county councils, you've got uh, engineers, uh, general contractors, architects, engineers. The list goes on and on and on. And again, very similar minded people, very similar, you know, end goal but also doing it in a real way like these these are business people this is not you know a pipe dream you know this is this is people that want to do something in the right way but they're also in big companies that are are doing big business so it shows that this is a sustainable end result but it's also an economically sustainable end result so I think that was a huge thing that uh, that I've taken out of this. It sort of made me believe a lot in 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 that can actually be a future, you know. In this, am I right in saying that? And would you would you you know would you tend to agree with it? And, and if you want to expand on it, 
Well, absolutely. And I think that the key thing here is no one really knows what the end solution will be. Um, we all need to look at a variety of different solutions. There is no single golden bullet. So what we've got to be looking at is working up a range of different options, stress testing those options, and driving forward what we really believe is the right solution and working collaboratively and you know really stress testing and challenging one another so that we're arriving at what we think is going to be the right solution and we've got to be bold and you know we won't make every single decision perfect and that's where we need collaboration and bring people on because if further on down the line we need to be tweaking the direction of travel then so be it but what we can't afford is just to you know paralyze ourselves and say you know it's too big we don't know how to respond and thus do nothing so it's far better to be driving the agenda working collaboratively with everybody and really challenging people and changing behaviors and changing their mindsets that then we can make those bold changes that we really need to drive into the industry well so david listen thank you very much for your time um pleasure to, to have the chance to chat to you and uh, i have to say you really resonate with an awful lot what you said there thank you Thank you very much indeed for your time. Constructive Voices. Live at Footprint Plus. Dominic Lyons, would you mind telling us a little bit about what you do and what you're here to do today? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks very much for having me. So I am an insurance broker. So that uh, essentially means I'm a middleman between the clients uh, either building things or owning built things and uh, the insurers themselves who are the ones who provide the insurance policy and underwrite the business. So I suppose my job in simple terms is uh, understanding what clients are up to and turning that into insurance language so that insurers understand what they're up to and getting in, getting it insured hopefully at a decent price with decent cover very good um, I'm a, a main contractor myself so it's always good to hear that you know <laughs> there's people out there trying to, to help on in, in terms of the insurance premiums I'm also a carpenter by trade and uh, I, I got to hear a little bit of your talk there about uh, mass timber in, in construction so uh, would you like to develop that a little bit yeah, of course. Uh, so um, I've been working probably for the last seven years. Essentially, when I started doing construction insurance, I got involved very early on on a major scheme uh, in East London, residential scheme, 230 odd units, uh, entirely made out of CLT on top of a concrete podium. Um, and it blew my mind, frankly. I couldn't believe that we could actually build stuff of that size and scale and quality in timber. And I thought, blimey, I really need to understand more about this. Uh, uh, first, because it's absolutely fundamental to how we're going to save the planet, but also uh, we need to understand the risks involved from an insurance mindset with my insurance hat on uh, and effectively articulate them to insurers so that we can get this stuff insured because it's clearly only going in one direction in terms of adoption. Um, so uh, that I suppose my journey started then and ever since I've been kind of working with insurers wherever possible and clients to to demystify so to kind of educate insurers and the market on what the construction insurance sorry the construction industry is doing in this space uh you know right from the basics of what is mass timber why is it different to lightweight timber frame um how does it respond differently under pressure underweight in fire and flood um and equally just to uh just to sort of bring back almost um a dialogue that I think has been lost in the last 10 or 15 years between clients and their insurers. So um, in a soft market, as we just talked about, an insurance market where cover is easy to come by and it's cheap, which we, we had for probably 10 or 15 years, 
people of all, in all areas, I think, lost the ability to articulate um, risk effectively down that food chain, so from client to insurer. Uh, now we're in a very different place where insurers really, to an extent, have the power and uh, can choose what to insure and what not to insure and are uh, finding it easiest to say no unless you give them a good reason to do otherwise. Um, it's the, you know, the, the onus is back on us to give insurers a good reason as to why mass timber is safe and why they want to get on board on that journey of understanding it and ultimately insuring it. Um, because unless ultimately, unfortunately, they're going to make money out of it, they're not going to insure it. They don't, you know, I think there's, there's perhaps an ignorant perception, and sometimes myself included, that insurers will just always insure everything. No, unfortunately, they're not that way. They're, they're commercial businesses, and unless you give them a business case to do so, uh, and they can see that, and they can ultimately think we'll, we'll make a, uh, an equitable profit out of it, then they, they can just say no. And you know that's unfortunately been the experience in mass timber in the last two or three years in particular. Is it's, it's, you're almost starting at that point of no, and, and then having to convince insurers otherwise. Well, fair play to people like yourself are so important to, to be that middleman that can educate people because like we have had such you know unfortunate disasters like the Notre Dame fire that happened and um, we also then have climate change which I don't mind saying I can clearly see when I'm doing a construction job but I have to put in bigger levels of protection when it comes to flashing details when it comes to even how I protect my timbers I, I, I end up kind of going above and beyond even what I'm supposed to do because I don't want the callbacks I want to make sure that the building is is uh, built in, in a way that it's going to last so from an insurance point of view I'm sure if I'm thinking about it insurers must be doing something similar so I suppose there's a transition that has to happen and I think that's the good thing about being at an event like Footprint Plus we're getting to speak to and hear from so many different people from different areas and like what's your thoughts in terms of how are insurers uh, thinking when it comes to insuring in the future I suppose um, because we, we are using new materials which is obviously risk we are transitioning from let's say traditional types of build into new types of build so there's a lot going on in 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 people's minds and um, so kind of what's the, the general feel in the insurance sector coming to, to talk about these type of uh topics yeah sure uh, firstly i totally agree with you things like footprint are are vital um and anecdotally i always use this i've got an architect friend who's very into his mass timber and he says you know, he always tells me in 25 years of being an architect, you're the first insurance guy I've ever spoken to. And I'm very flattered, but that also to me is kind of endemic of the problem. Um, it is that, that breakdown of communication I talked about. What's the insurer's attitude? Well, what I think we have at the moment is we have the CEOs and the upper echelons of insurance companies saying the right thing and making the right statements. And uh, at this sort of superficial level saying we as a business are going to you know, drive towards net zero and that don't get me wrong sorry that, that sounded very cynical that's great they, that's brilliant that they're doing that and they need to do that the much more difficult thing that we're still trying to unlock is how do they how do they ensure uh, sustainability how, as in how do, how do you come up with an equitable equation that means that they can provide insurance in a changing world that we are in with new materials where they don't have the experience, they don't have the data. And how do we give them enough meat to say, not just that you should do this, but in reality, you can do this because this is how, this is how it will perform. This is everything you need to know to get yourself comfortable with the risk. And the risk is actually still low. I think 
unfortunately, it will always, always, always be the case in insurance that new equals scary. When ins insurers fundamentally operate on experience and data, when you show them anything that they don't have experience or data on, their immediate response is either a higher price or a no, because they can't model it. They don't, they don't know how to react. So we need to educate them on how to react, frankly. Um, and it's a gradual process. You know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a beast of an industry. It doesn't change overnight. You know, there are, there are like all major industries, startups and uh, disruptors coming in, and that's brilliant, and we kind of welcome those. But to get something like mass timber adopted on the scale, we need to adopt it to get anywhere near net zero. We need the mainstream insurers involved, and we need them to be viewing it as not just a niche that they can dabble in occasionally when you give them the right right argument to do so but actually something that's mainstream acceptable understood safe and and they can come up with a pricing matrix that structure that sits around that so that they can have a long-term business plan for it um yeah listen dominic absolutely in my opinion a, an excellent topic uh of conversation we just had We've only scratched the surface and uh, there's so much more that could be discussed on it. Thank you very much for your time and best of luck. Be a lion out there. Very corny, <laughs> but be a lion out there in the jungle. Thanks, Dominic. Have a good day. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry, this is Constructive Voices. Hello, my name's Dougal Fleming and I'm here representing Alistair Fleming Design and Rewild Economics. So you've got more than one hat on, Dougal, and uh, what should we talk about first? Should we talk about Rewild Economics first of all? You're a consultancy? Yeah, so uh, it's a, a newly formed business that I constructed in response to a local networking hub that I'm a part of, and uh, I was going on about the circular economy so much that they said, well, structure a presentation and create a, a workshop off the back of it, and uh, let's, let's put some of our members through it. So... Yeah, following that, I've uh, had some really inspirational moments, you know, running these workshops and talking to businesses about what they currently do within their business and then following uh, an in-depth dive into the circular economy, into what it means, into the principles of it. We then try to understand how they can introduce circular loops to their business model, which can hopefully result in an increase in profit uh, and revenues but also a, a much more rooted approach to circularity and and obviously the environment and nature and this is such a, a big thing for so many parts of business now i mean business leaders you know get it or they don't get it but their investors certainly increasingly do get it consumers very much get it so it's 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 not just a, a trend or a fad this is the new way of doing business well, I hope so. Yeah, it seems to be becoming less fringe and more mainstream. I've been a member of the Brighton Circular Economy for a little while, and I suppose during lockdown, I uh, started to really do a deep dive into it and, and investigate and research the circular economy in a much more profound way, and resulting in just a mind blown with opportunities for, for the sector and uh, for the construction industry in particular that does use so many finite resources. It's really important that we collectively understand what we can do to, to create less waste and pollution and to design for longevity, for disassembly, for reconstruction and also not just that but how do we become regenerative by design so how do we give back more than we take which for the construction industries a really difficult one to actually grapple with 
um, natural capital is a really great way of starting. So how much is that hedge at the end of the office block worth? How much is that oak tree worth? It houses animals, it purifies the air, it, it creates a sense of well-being within, within employees. So that's one way of straight away putting something on the balance sheet that perhaps is already part of what the business is doing, but you can tie your incentives into things that are going to really be of benefits to the environment. Which um, And, and inter interestingly, the way that developments are happening now with landscaping very much part of it, you know, and, and, and looking at how green spaces can be very cleverly in some ways integrated into developments if that green space is already there I suppose the other side of it is to look at how we can use what's around whereas perhaps at one time we may have said okay well we can lose that that bit and we can build on it now it's can we actually use that and integrate that into our development without having to disrupt what's there already yeah, I mean, every business will have different ways of, you know, different relationships with the environment and how it decides to adapt within it. And I think one of the most important things is to really understand the metric tons of virgin and non-virgin materials that we use as a business each year and to combine that with the amount of kilowatt hours of energy that we use and then to try to get a metric around that and how much... How much can we give back to the environment? And green spaces are the best way. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's such an interesting and complex range of different considerations that all businesses and all developments need to take into account. And, and this, in a way, where we're talking about materials is, is where it dovetails with the other thing that you mentioned right at the beginning, your, your father's business that you're involved in, um, where, you, you know, you fit bespoke kitchens, but you're very much now focusing on the sustainable materials that you can use in doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we work to a very high level of detail and uh, environmental considerations to specify materials that really have high eco-credentials. Uh, it's not always easy to know exactly what that data is, how far that material's come, what uh, process of have that material undergone, and how easy it is to get it from cradle to cradle. But increasingly, that these materials are being backed by data, so we're able to present those in our showroom, and for customers who who resonate with one or two particular materials, to then design that into their space. So that's really what we're concerned with. We're designing like an architect would uh, in 3D to communicate exactly what that design looks like. We then make it in our workshop. We have skilled cabinet makers using traditional techniques who can prototype with these new materials in order to really clarify with our clients what they're getting before it gets made. And then, of course, it gets made and then installed on site. And everything we do is then backed up by the aftercare and so on. So we really are at the cutting edge of trying to understand what these the latest materials entering the surfaces and finishes sector do and are capable of and uh, it's a lot of fun to be part of that and a, an event like this I mean this is the first footprint plus uh, how important was it for you to be here today oh, it's a, it's a delight I mean uh, I know Sophie Law Smith and she's been talking about this for a while um, and and for me this has kind of arisen out of the ashes of design Brighton which we were uh, a partner of and uh, delighted to be and she's uh, she's a real mover and shaker she's really getting stuff done and making a difference in the industry so 
uh, she's been mentioning it for a little while and when uh, when she said that it was happening then um, you know I, I love to come along and again Brighton is a real hub for this we've got green politicians and we are a forward-thinking alternative part of the city the, 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 the whole country uh, is kind of doing doing things that Brighton have set the tempo for and it just feels nice to be on the right side of history I guess you know everything we're doing is about trying to reduce our our footprint on this planet and go further and do more so uh, it's just it's just a wonderful thing to be meeting so many like minds people are already on this journey you know, like yourselves um, and what you're trying to do within the industry with the constructive voices you know it's you're not you're not gonna feel like you're doing the wrong thing are you by getting the word out absolutely well look, it's been great speaking to you um, where can people find out more about the many things that you do <laughs> it's a good question well I uh, I am on LinkedIn somewhat reluctantly I'm not a big one for social media uh, I'm sort of managed by others uh, if you like I mean Alistair Fleming design is is out there we have a website and uh, and on various different social media channels um, yeah uh, find me on LinkedIn and send me a message through there and I'd love to connect with you and uh, yeah see if I can help integrate integrate circular principles into your business there you go so that's Dougal Fleming you need to look for on LinkedIn he will reluctantly reply to you if you send him a message on there thank you very much cheers Steve yeah really nice to meet you this is Constructive Voices I'm Elaine Toogood I'm an architect I am director of architecture and sustainable design at the Concrete Centre and the Concrete Centre we're a sort of central technical and marketing hub for concrete within the UK so give lots of advice to practitioners architects other uh, engineers about how to get the best out of concrete and um, as part of that, we're part of the MPA, which is the Mineral Products Association, which is the trade association for pretty much most of the minerals that are produced within the UK. So most of the cement manufacturers and the concrete and um, all the things that go in to make uh, concrete as well as lots of other products. Yeah. Very good. So um, being on an event like Footprint Plus has been an excellent experience for myself because I've got to, to, to hear so many different uh, talks about uh, different areas of construction that are improving in terms of sustainability but also some amazingly innovative products that are coming out and I have to say listening to your talk there as well something very similar but something that I can't get away from and I have to ask you this question is you know people are talking about modular construction maybe mass timber construction as being the future uh, is, is that the future or is concrete still here, here, to, here to stay? I suspect it's all the future. There's no one silver bullet that is going to solve the climate challenge. And, and um, every material has its benefits. Every form of construction has its benefits. What we all need to get better at doing is recognising that carbon needs to be a part of that measure. And, um, and I think that's a, that's a challenge. Everybody sort of says, you know, this, this talk was called Concrete Dead, Long Live Concrete. Well, I have no idea who came up with that name, by the way. Um, but it, but it, I think what it, I hope what came out of it was with the other speakers, not just what I was talking about, was that actually concrete is a really essential. It does things that other materials can't do. You know, it's fire resistant. It can be in the ground. It can be above ground. You know, it's ubiquitous. It's using basically inert materials. Lots of really brilliant stuff. Nothing else could do stuff like concrete. But we've got to make sure that we can do it low carbon as well. And the trouble is, concrete is being judged by what its past record is. When nobody was asking for low carbon concrete, brilliantly now, everybody is. 
and uh, and that's important and we've still got but there's still so much to learn we all need to be slightly changing the way we do things as well as radically changing things as well there's there's huge amounts to do so I, the future is definitely everything and we everybody I don't think anybody would be able to know exactly what the future is but I am absolutely confident that concrete will be in there it just might be concrete 2.0 what an excellent answer I love it I love it but uh, I, I would have to say that I would agree with what you say um, I find it very frustrating when people ask the question that I ask which is what's the future and what's the next big thing or, or the only thing the answer is there is no only thing there is no one product it's a mixture of products because the world is made up of a lot of different people, a lot of different tastes, a lot of different architectural views, a lot of different uh, just perspectives on the way you would live and the environment you want to live in. So I totally agree with your answer. There, you know, there's room for all of these uh, different ways of, of, of carrying out sustainable construction, but the key word is make sure they are sustainable and, the, and that they, their, their carbon footprint is low. Totally agree with that. And I think what's really specifically interesting about all forms of construction, but also concrete, is it's always evolved to meet the needs of society. You know, it's, we've been using it for many years, but it's always changing and is evolving. And so one of the new needs is for the reducing of carbon. So concrete is evolving and innovating to do that. So I totally agree with you now. Well, what an exciting time as well for someone like yourself to be involved in this because like, I, I've, I've, I've had similar conversations with other people earlier. I suppose if, 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 you, if you were in construction you know, for the previous 50 years up to now, it would have been quite tr- traditional and, uh, and there would have been a lot of repetition, you know, some evolution. Certainly we moved towards more insulation and more thermal sort of awareness. And then we then realised, okay, it's not just to keep us warm. We need to be able to do it in a, uh, an efficient way. Um, but in, in the last I would say 10 years the evolution in terms of the transition between traditional build and the use of other products has really ramped up quite a lot obviously with the end result of uh, trying to make sure that we you know are more friendly to our planet but also we have to do it in an economically viable way we can't just suddenly go okay that's it we're stopping all construction we're stopping because the world is still growing um, and lifestyles are changing so how has it been for you over the last sort of X amount of years seeing that transition coming in and like how much do you think it's going to continue to evolve no, I think you're absolutely right I think the rate of pace of change is uh, has really ramped up in recent years and um, I th- and yeah in the construction industry is traditionally very slow but it's but it's it has it, it peaks and troughs a little bit um, uh, to meet demands and to meet needs but I think you're absolutely right that uh, innovation there's a huge appetite for innovation there's a huge amount of what's more importantly almost is actual funding available to help uh, deploy innovation there's always been lots of innovation but actually it's that really tricky bit about changing it getting it from an innovation into deployment which is where that's where, where some of the challenges have been and I know within the concrete industry some of the uh, innovations that are now being developed at scale have been around for quite a long time but there was never an appetite within the market to actually be able to to go to uh, to ramp them up and and, I, and that's, I'm sure that's not just the same for concrete I'm sure that's the same with lots of different things and different materials and methods of constructing so it's a really exciting time I mean I it's I, but you know which horse do you back I don't think you've you've almost got a 
you back all of them or it's, it's very difficult to predict you know what are the things that are going to get the traction are going to go forward but I, I think but but what will be common I think to all of those will be carbon and circular economy and those principles will be the the the, the particular um, credentials which will underpin the ones that will succeed but what we've also got to remember though is that with innovation is you've got to innovate responsibly you know, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from the past, you know, and, and I, do, I ended my presentation today, which was all about carbon, is that we mustn't forget biodiversity, we must not forget well-being, we mustn't forget climate change adaptation, you know, it's all very well building things today, but actually if they're going to be useless in a couple of years' time because they're overheating or, you know, you know in, uh, not, not coping with a flood event, which we know are coming through, they're not fundamentally isn't sustainable in the true sense of the word sustainable so there is a lot to think about we've got more to think about i think in construction than we've ever had to think about because we're still always thinking we're still doing all the same stuff but we've got all this extra stuff to consider and we're all trying to work out what the best solutions are what the right solutions are and i think they will keep evolving i, I totally agree with you i'm i'm a carpenter by trade i have a construction company so i'm a main contractor and like whenever I'm doing flashing details or, or, or I'm I go above and beyond what I would, would, like traditionally would have done previously or even what the regulations are now because exactly like what you said the climate change while we're doing our best to slow it down it, it has already started and there's no doubt about it like our climate has changed already in terms of we're getting much heavier rain in shorter bursts I can remember when I was young I, I, I thought that only happened in Spain and tropical kind of climates you know no that, that's happening you know in, in lots of different environments now um, so I think even at that level people are beginning to, to be aware you know which is good so I suppose just to finish off um, I, I know by the two of us here we could spend the next hour talking about this but uh, you know what did you gain out of being at an event like Footprint Plus? I think it's been uh, really great to have a platform to be able to talk about things and to share some of the, the guidance and, and what people can do and make a real difference using concrete but actually what's been fantastic is I think specific to this event is that it's so focused and it's by being completely focused on a very few topics, you know, footprint, carbon footprint, is that it, it, it has created a slightly different energy than you might normally get. It's fairly small, but, but there's a real buzz. And um, everybody I've spoken to has said that they've learned something. And goodness me, isn't that really what it's about? Is that we're all, we're all learning, we're all trying to work out what this new way of doing things needs to be and how we can all do things better. And... and Apart from the fact that, you know, there's loads of great people around and I'm seeing faces I haven't seen for ages. So um, the hugs have been good too. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, get them to, to, to see people face to face and to, to discuss, the, you know, the topics that we are all passionate about um, in, in such, a, such a, a great environment. And I, I totally agree with you. The size of the event has actually been perfect as well um, because you can kind of get to touch on, on most people here. Um, and the energy and the, the commitment from people has been great, you know. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry. This is Constructive Voices. I'm Henry Pelly. I'm a principal sustainability consultant at Max Fordham. And we're uh, uh, building services and sustainability um, consultancy that works, you know, that is kind of known for low energy design, and we work at kind of all scales of project. Excellent stuff. So 
Um, it sounds like this is Christmas coming together for you. Uh, a room full of people, very like-minded, and uh, I'm sure it creates a lot of opportunity and a lot of networking for yourself here today. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's great to see people that you know, and like, um, I think it's it's really helpful to understand to come to events like this to understand like where you know where the industry is and where the, what conversations are happening. Um, I always find it more useful to go and look at uh, conversations around things that I. Uh, I feel I kind of know least about, you know, and then you you can kind of use it to broaden your, like, to sort of deepen and broaden your kind of your knowledge of what's going on in the, uh, uh, what's going on in the sector. Excellent stuff. So what is going on in the sector and, and what have you found out, I suppose? What, what, what's the, the general word uh, at the event here in terms of where, where are we uh, on, on, this, uh, on this road that we are in sustainability? I mean, there's been a huge amount of change in the last few years. So, like, there are loads of conversations around embodied carbon. Um, and that is something that, uh, let's say, like, five years ago was fairly niche. And now it's absolutely central to the conversation. Um, and what's great is that a lot of the conversations around looking at solutions. So there's been quite a lot of stuff that I found interesting around the decarbonisation of construction materials, where we are, where we're likely to be. Um, and then, obviously, we've been looking at... So I've just been... We're looking at my colleagues talking about a project they've worked on, which was the Cambridge Institute of Sustainable Leadership, where you know they started the project before there were industry embodied carbon targets, um, and now they've finished it in a time where everybody's thinking about it. So it's quite interesting to see a project like that at completion and uh, kind of look back and see how much has changed in terms of uh, the industry understanding and how much further we can go to. Yeah, that's actually very interesting how in in the the duration of our project so much has changed um when, when and how how we view things and even regulation and legislation has changed yeah totally i mean i think one thing i've been telling clients quite recently and we keep i've seen so much in the last 10 years is that um things that you seem seem to be like a an interesting problem to solve are actually things you're ashamed of not tackling by the end of the project um, and it is quite, you know, it's really, it is really significant, like, you know, operation, you know, um, let's say like operational carbon conversations 10 years ago, it might be about fabric first and, you know, a really efficient gas boiler. And now that's absolutely the wrong thing to have been, to have done. And, and, you know, you should have gone to decarbonize your heat through a heat pump. And that wasn't, you know, you had to really be paying attention to what was going to happen to the grid to know that was going to happen. And fortunately, we've had lots of projects where we had persuaded clients to do the thing that seemed innovative and now seems like a basic thing they needed to have done. Um, so it's great to sort of remember that when we're looking forward at the new challenges, especially around, um, for instance, embodied carbon, uh, you know, like making sure they understand that it is a that like they need to set some targets and need to do something around it if they are to present it as a sustainable project yeah absolutely so what do you see as the next steps uh, that are coming so you have the crystal ball we've kind of learned from our mistakes of the past we're, we're we're looking into the future so what do you think is coming and what do you think you know people that are listening should start considering so i think like you know immediately it's obviously decarbonizing a heat through heat pumps like basically setting some embodied carbon targets there needs to be you know what's coming is the decarbonizing construction materials but that's on a five to ten year horizon so like in the meantime it's like what solutions can we make use of now um and that also means that repurposing existing buildings is in this next 10 to 15 years is like the most important thing you can do from a sustainability perspective so there are, it's now very difficult to justify knocking down a building 
uh, in order to make it, in order to replace it with a more sustainable building and operation, because in a whole life carbon terms, that doesn't stack up. And I think in terms of like really important future issues, we're going to see loads more stuff around the impact of construction on biodiversity. And I think that's not just on-site biodiversity; that is the impact of um, the manufacture and supply of construction materials and those wider biodiversity impacts. So I think in the next fifteen years, that'll become a really, really um, 10, 15 years will be a really important issue in the construction sector and we'll see the supply chain starting to respond to those pressures but that, you know, and I definitely think that's coming so it's something that clients need to start considering even though there are actually limited tools at the moment from a construction material perspective to really um, tackle those issues but that definitely is on the horizon and will be the next um, big issue for everyone to to tackle in a very in the same way that we're addressing decarbonisation of heat and uh, embodied carbon. So last question then, um, your company is here obviously uh, to meet network and, and obviously to have your input. So what is it that your uh, company can bring to uh, anyone that's listening to this and anyone that you meet here today as well? So we've got a really, really long history of dealing with um, low energy buildings and sort of sustainable thinking about sustainability on projects sort of you know uh, the practice was founded not long after these you know not long after the founding of the practice the energy crisis the first energy crisis happened and that became a really big part of thinking about the building as a metabolism and a lot of the thinking of Max the founder of the practice um, kind of fed into all the work we've done so we've always been thinking about these issues so it's great to have worked in a world where we've been trying to deliver what in each era is the most sustainable building and understand uh, what those issues are and to kind of we have quite a lot of collective sort of institutional knowledge around what those issues are so um, we kind of bring that perspective to, to projects um, and I think that's kind of you know really important a lot of the work we do is not necessarily we try to be sort of ahead of where the industry is because we do a lot of engagement with where we are and then what we see as the future future challenges and helping clients identify what those are and how they might tackle them Brilliant stuff. It was a pleasure to talk to you today, Henry. Enjoy the rest of your day. This is Constructive Voices. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. 